Do you invest in ETFs? Whether you're thinking, what in the world is an ETF? Or you're looking for the next opportunity to add to your portfolio. GlobalX has you covered. From big tech to bonds and bars of gold, GlobalX offers a wide range of exchange-traded funds. Go beyond ordinary with GlobalX ETFs. Visit globalxetfs.com.au. That's globalxetfs.com.au. Are you thinking about starting your wealth-creating journey but not sure where to put your hard-earned dollars? InvestSmart can help. InvestSmart offers a free quiz that makes it easy to find the right InvestSmart ETF portfolio to help you reach your goals. Just visit investsmart.com.au and hit get started. Answer a few simple questions about your goals and how much you want to invest and you'll get a tailored statement of advice with a portfolio recommendation. You can visit investsmart.com.au for a no obligations free statement of advice. This ad is brought to you by InvestSmart Advice, AFSL 334107. This Australian Investors Podcast episode is brought to you by The Intelligent Investor, Australia's premier investment research membership service. You can get a free trial for 15 days, no credit card details required. To access the insights of some of Australia's best analysts, use the coupon code RASK and secure your Intelligent Investor membership today. We're proud to have The Intelligent Investor as an ongoing supporter of the Australian Investors Podcast. As a result, RASK does not earn a volume-based fee. Simply head to intelligentinvestor.com.au or use the link in your podcast player to access your free trial. This episode of the Australian Investors Podcast is also proudly supported by SelfWealth, Australia's leading independent broker. Over 120,000 investors trust SelfWealth with over $9 billion in equities. With SelfWealth, you can trade ASX, US and Hong Kong listed shares for a flat fee. On a $10,000 investment with Comsec, you'd pay $29.95 in fees. Yet with SelfWealth, it's just $9.50. The thing I like about SelfWealth is the full access to fundamental company data and how easy it is to trade US, Hong Kong, and Aussie shares in one place. You can see your Apple shares and ACDC ETF right beside each other. To join SelfWealth now, use the link in your podcast player or head to selfwealth.com.au and use the coupon code RASK during sign-up. Hey there, here's a quick note. This podcast contains general financial advice only. That means it's not specific to you, your needs, goals, or objectives. So don't act on the information until you've spoken with your financial advisor. You'll find our full disclosure, disclaimer, and link to our financial services guide in the show notes. Here we are. Uh, Welcome to this week's Australian Investors Podcast. Um, As always, I'm joined by Seven Investing's uh, investment advisor, Anir Barn. How you going, mate? Always a pleasure, mate. Uh, I'm great, but today's a special day, right? <laughs> yes, today's a very special day. We have a third co-host with us today who just had a dramatic entrance for those of you that are watching live or uh, watch the video, uh, Claude Walker from A Rich Life, mate. How you going? I'm very well. So happy to be here. See you guys' faces again. Obviously, miss catching up with you for the last year or so. Yeah, yeah. It's been a, it's been a bit of a tough year for everyone. Hey, um, how, How's your day been so far, mate? What have you been up to? I um, had had a, uh, a morning with a fund manager I admire, so I got to learn a lot then. And um, this week, generally, it's just been outrageously busy for me. So I guess I'll put that up front. I'm sorry for the Rich Life subscribers. I haven't published um, as much as I usually do lately. I've got some stuff I can't talk about at the moment. It's been taking my time. But there's going to be at least three articles on the website tomorrow for the next issue. So And, and they're going to be good ones. So sorry Check about it out. the delay. That's- 
that's a richlife.com.au and that would be uh, Saturday the 6th of November. So we're recording this on the Friday the 5th. If you ever want to catch us live, you can head to the Rask Australia YouTube channel and hit subscribe. You get a notification when we go live. Um, normally the way we start the show, mate, as you would know, is we just ask each other what we've been working on lately um, because it provides some insight of what's been going on behind the scenes. Today, we're going to talk about uh, some topical things as well. We've got results that have just come out from Pinterest this morning. Um, as always, we have to mention ProMedicus whenever Claude is in the room. And Airbarn's going to take us through uh, Peloton and a look at, at Cloudflare. So we've got a lot to talk about too. We've got some ASX news um, around IntelliHR and Tyro payments this week. So a lot to get through. But first of all, maybe as I usually do, and Airbarn, what, what have you been working on lately? Um, I feel like there was a webinar in the, in the offing. Yeah, so I finished, you know, the recommendations are out first of November, um, and yeah, there's a webinar actually that's happening on cybersecurity and zero trust. So there's a report that I've written uh, on zero trust and what that framework means and why that framework is important and mm. who are the players in that sort of zero trust cybersecurity setting who could potentially win. Um, so we're going to do a, uh, like a webinar, you know, short presentation, maybe 20 odd minutes of presentation followed by some question and answers and talk about the stocks and what's going on there. It's been a hot area. It's been a good area to be in as an investor over the past couple of years. But, you know, what has happened in the past is not really uh, that relevant, right? What's going to happen in the future is relevant. So that's sort of the thing we're going to be discussing. And is this a free webinar that anyone can go to? Yeah, so it's free. So the report is free as well. I mean, okay, I'll caveat that. You you basically give your email address and you get the report for free. And uh, it took me a long time to actually write the report. So <laughs> I think it's worth something. And I've got some illustrations there, which if you enjoy my drawings on my iPad, we're using my Apple Pencil, free Apple advertisement there, um, <laughs> then uh, uh, please come and enjoy that. Yeah, and the webinar is free. So if you've got your email address, we'll just email you uh, details of when. Actually, the information, we've, we're going to do it next Saturday morning, Australia time, which will be Friday, 3 p.m., Eastern time in the US. So early mm. morning here in Australia. Um, Mate, if I'm, if I'm already a subscriber to 7investing, is that going to be on the website as well? Uh, excellent question. I don't know actually of the details. So this is primarily directed towards people who are not yet members because essentially the, the stocks that you're going to talk about, many of them are already recommendations. So you already have yeah, access right. to all the recommendations and updates. But if you want to join, you're welcome to join. <laughs> we'll, we'll provide you. If you want to wake up in the morning and join, we'll take you. <laughs> Why not, Actually, right? There'll be so a recording. Yeah, there'll be a recording. Actually, that's, that's a good point. Maybe we should make the recording available uh, to everyone. Uh, on, on yeah. as a, That's actually a good point. So I'll, I'll raise that up. Nice one. I'll put a link in the show notes. And there's, uh, it's also on Twitter as well. So be sure to follow us and, and say day, and you'll see it there. Um, and just on that, if you are watching live and you want to ask a question, feel free now is your chance. Um, we'll try and get to that through throughout the recording for the next 60 minutes. We love questions. Engagement is good. So please feed us. We are hungry. Um, Claude, how about yourself, mate? I know you've had a pretty hectic couple of couple of weeks and, and whatever. It's been a lot of like four C's and AGMs coming up uh, out recently. Um, maybe just to, before you answer that, though, just tell us a little bit about A Rich Life for those of our listeners that are new to you and new to the podcast series. Yeah, right. So a rich life's a little bit different from um, you know Rask Finance and and Seven Investing. We don't we don't do um, recommendations or anything like that. 
but what we do do is coverage of a lot of small cap stocks that you really won't find coverage of many other places and we try to make sure that we're covering that universe before other people so i have a great network of people like you guys who are constantly feeding me extra ex excellent ideas I'm really um, just looking to try and write those interesting interesting stories and uh, do the work in the background to make sure that, generally speaking, you know, I'm not writing about companies that are actually just hype and have nothing, no real potential. Obviously, all small cap stocks are high risk, high reward, so I get them wrong sometimes, and we're going to talk about one of those today, but... You know, I do pride myself on trying to write about real businesses that, that really do have some prospects. And of course, when they go well, then just knowing about them early can be a great help to people and can be in front of the curve sometimes when um, some of the other players come in behind us. So uh, that's what we aim to do. And um, the last week has been a first uh, I need to catch up on. There's a few more quarterly reports I've got to cover for the website this weekend. That'll, that'll be one article. And then We've got another article which I'm fairly excited about, which is about um, two turnaround, and I won't give them away yet because I haven't published the article, but two turnaround software companies that are both looking pretty healthy right now. And I think that as their um, reputations are now likely to be improving over the next year or so, we may get a situation where we both would get both company growth, so the underlying business is growing, but also that sort of sociological re-rate as people say, oh, more and more people sort of started really like, oh, this is actually a better company than it was now. So maybe it deserves a higher multiple. So mm. trying to play that, you know, the, the, double, the double win if it works out. Do you find that, like you use your network a fair bit, do you find most of your, your good ideas come from people that you know and investors that you follow? Or is it through like primary research actually, you know, do you use things like screeners and, and that type of stuff at all? Yeah, so I do you I do use screening tools a lot, but the trick for me is to set those screens pretty wide and then go through a lot of companies manually. And then mm -hmm. the the network of people uh, that I know, they that's really like just another level of filtering. Um, I'll mm -hmm. I'll go and filter uh, and I'll look at in in a week when I'm doing the broad stroke, which I did actually not that long ago. Another I call it repopulating the watch list go through a hundred companies or something. And then after that, I'll find some that I think find it interesting. I'll generally write about some and a lot of people in my network do read my writing or if they don't, I send them the article and say, Oh, what do you think about this? And then that helps me start to know which of those companies I should zoom in on more because it's just hugely advantageous to have um, all of these uh, very clever fund managers that um, have have information to share, and that doesn't mean I'm like, oh, they like it. That means I like it. It just tells me which ones I should be looking looking into even more closely, basically. And I think that's particularly in Australian small caps, right? If you do the filter and you don't set it broad, you end up missing a lot because you end up you just get you know what it's like if you exclude those companies that are yet to be profitable. The, the list shrinks outside of mining, outside of resources. You're left with maybe 200 companies and you're like, well, geez, okay, maybe I need to broaden this a bit. But then it just puts the onus back on you a bit. So that's 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 really interesting. And just for those that uh, are new to Claude as well, um, he, like both Anirban and myself, are on Twitter. So you can find the links in the, the show notes. Um, Claude D. Walker on Twitter. Um, so say I should probably mention, 
to give fair uh, credence to my colleagues as well. I'm only one of the writers on A Rich Life and the other segments are about news, about opinion and about arts and culture. So it's not just a, a finance kind of thing. It, it's got, it's got a, it's a big, we're trying to be sort of a, an AFR kind of thing, but a, a little bit of a, a new millennial spin on that. Once again, links are in the show notes. So check it out. Check out all the writing. I'm looking forward to, to reading that one. And repopulating the watch list is always an interesting thing to see what surfaces after all the IPOs we've had recently. Just uh, an update from, from my end. Those regular listeners of the Australian uh, Investors Podcast will know that we had Julia Forrest on the podcast recently. She is a fund manager uh, from Pendle Group. She's been on, this, I guess, the scene for, about, I think, about 16 or 17 years from the top of my head, maybe maybe even longer than that now. Um, so she's one of those long-serving fund managers, which are very rare because oftentimes they they move on to other endeavors or whatever, but she stayed um, in her kind of field, which is property and REITs and those types of things. So we had a really interesting conversation around inflation. You can get that. Uh, they came out on Wednesday, um, Australian time. The other thing that I've been, this is totally different, uh, totally different altogether. The other thing that I've been waiting on is my Starlink. So maybe next week or the week after, once this uh, backlog of, of postage works itself out um, all around Australia, we should be able to get it and install it. And then we might do two Starlink connections and we'll see how we go. Um, that could be a bit of a challenge, particularly if there's three of us on a call. So um, watch this space. Um, okay, so today we're going to talk about uh, a few things. Claude, I, th- I figured maybe maybe we can start with you, mate, because this one came through, I think, and Eban and myself saw this on Twitter. Beth's got a comment to say, um, what's the latest with Damstra? I know you were on uh, Ausbiz recently and you spoke about that. So did you want to just just talk just quickly about that? Anything that you can you can add there? Maybe tell us what the business does and, and give us a, a rundown. Yeah, so I, I would be happy to, um, but I also invite Arneban to, to weigh in on this one as well because he, he knows a little about the company as well, I think. So what Damstra does is basically workplace health and safety tracking and monitoring. So that starts with, you know, a terminal at a worksite that tracks who goes in, but it can extend all the way to you have um, something on your phone, an app downloaded on your phone that can then track if you're driving safely. And it also the machinery can get tracked. So just to make sure that each bit of machinery can have a file basically that says, you know, when it needs to be maintained, who is in charge of all of that, you know, whether it's got any signs that it needs to be fixed and, you know, also preventing things going missing so easily, uh, cataloging and that kind of thing. So that's their kind of business. It uh, has a fairly broad range of clientele, but construction industry and mining industry is a, is a huge part of it. And so there is a degree to which large contracts or large customers can have a big impact on its, its bottom line. And, you know, the story with this one was that I sort of first started writing about it when we had the sort of blowout in March 20, well, after the blowout in March 2020, when a lot of money losing names tanked. Mm. And it looked to me at the time I had a thesis, which I think right now is in tatters, but we, it looked to me as if this, is, this would be something that, you know, would become more front of mind when, you know, who is on, you know, the web, on the site, are they, like, we didn't know at that time how everything would play out with COVID, but it was certainly imaginable that things like having COVID tests and vaccinations and all that kind of thing might be relevant and become more relevant uh, to workplaces. So I thought, you know, this is probably actually a tailwind for these guys. They've come down, you know, they're, they're a bit smashed out, so we'll buy it. And I bought it and 
thought it was good and it sort of went all the way up and it's been driving its growth through a combination of a little bit of organic growth plus mergers and acquisitions. And it had a bit of a decent track record with mergers and acquisitions as well, stripping costs out pretty effectively. So that was the thesis and it went on to acquire another listed company, Vault, which I think was slightly lower quality business, but it did have technology that sort of fit into the Damster technology stack fairly well. So that kind of made sense as well. And that was when I was most optimistic about the stock and lo and behold, so was the market. And then, you know, at that point I was sitting on a hundred percent gain. And um, unfortunately the forecasts that the company had given at the time of the Vault acquisition in terms of like, you know, what the pro forma revenue would all those sort of things would be. It came, it came in short of that. And, and the shortness was probably more in the core downstream business or the one that had existed prior to Vault rather than the actual acquisition. So it wasn't necessarily one bad acquisition. It was like, oh, actually, the business was a bit soft. Now, in hindsight, that was the time for me to at least sell half of my shares and say, my original thesis did not consider that the core business would be soft. Actually, what I thought in the original in the original thesis was the, the core business would be strong and any good acquisitions on top of that would be cream. But it actually didn't really work like that. And it seemed like the acquisition was okay, but the, the business was a bit soft. That was the time that I should have been selling in hindsight. And there's, I think that, you know, in, we can have probably a, a bit of a group discussion and you can, you guys can tell me why you think I blew it on that occasion, but I didn't do anything. In fact, I bought more. And that was the making of bag holder because they then um, gave guidance again and they missed it again. And in fact, because they lost a big client. And so this is a double disaster now because the numbers have come in lower, but it's the old story about uh, fool me once, um, shame on you, fool me twice, shame on me. And you really, if you're a business and you miss guidance twice to your, the people that actually have been believing in you, past that first time, you really do cause them a lot of um, humiliation and, and, and pain. And, and that what they then regret is that they trusted you again. Um, this is a really dangerous place to be when you are, um, a, you know, a publicly traded stock and trust is so important. So, you know, in my opinion, it's just, you're just it's not right. Like if you can't hit that guidance, then you just don't give guidance. You say, oh, we don't know how much we're going to make. We think we're going to grow. And then the market doesn't feel lied to. If, if growth comes in a little under what you're expecting, which is kind of the story here, oh, well, they actually did go down quarter on quarter, I think. So it wasn't even growth. But you know, if the year's growth is going to be lower than you'd expected, then um, you at least have maintained the credibility. And so people will um, be more likely to trust you and stick with the story. So with that second guidance miss, I've gone and, you know, as I wrote about, um, you know, at the time uh, behind the paywall, you know, look, we've got a double trouble now because we've got a credibility gap opening up. And um, so I, I just forced myself then to sell some and that was at a bit above 80 cents. And, you know, I think the share price has continued to, to drop down since then. And I think, you know, a lot of the questions we had on Twitter and that kind of thing, you know, it's that. People are asking, oh, yeah, yeah, we know that this has been a, a blow up from $2. And we, of course, know in hindsight, we, we should have been selling, not, not buying on the way down. But, you know, what about now? Now it's at $0.65 cents or $0.70 cents or wherever it sits. It's trading at less than five times annualized recurring revenue, despite that, you know, having been reduced by this customer loss. 
And so if you believe in the long-term growth, you could argue that, you know, actually now it's kind of cheap and it may well be that now is the, is the bottom. Like, you know, they've lost a big client. It's something that doesn't happen very often. It's happened this time. And they've had the credibility gap. You could argue that now being a low point in both the financial performance and the sociological opinion of the company is like the worst possible time to sell. That is a possibility. And as a result of that, I've kept some of my shares. I actually sold a little more this week. I'm really not, I don't have confidence in that story really, but it can absolutely happen. And we've all had stocks where we've just been absolutely wrong footed and you sort of, you buy too high and then you sell the low. And it's obviously the absolute opposite of the aim as you want to do when you're investing, but at the same time, and this is what, this is where I'd love to get your opinions on the same matter, like to abstract the question a little bit, you know, what is the best thing to do when you've had something, you've just been wrong on the thesis, you've, you've misread the situation, things are going and are not as well as you thought, but now the share price is down. Do you keep saying, oh, well, yeah, but the share price drop is now compensated for the bad news. So I'm going to keep on holding and I'm keep on holding on. And I guess that maximizes the chance that you'll have a positive return on that position eventually. Or do you say, look, this is one that I have not been calling well. Yeah, sure, it may go up well or it may not. But the point is that I don't seem to have any edge in this stock. I'm going to take my capital out of that and try and put it in something where I believe that I actually am calling it better than the market and more likely to make money. Maybe uh, sell it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. But I probably, I probably, to be honest, I probably would. Um, I don't know much about the company in truth, so I can't really speak from that. Just in a general sense, I'd probably sell because, you know, we we talk about opportunity cost, sunk cost fallacy, all that sort of stuff. And I think in these situations, I tend to just cut and run. And I, I think you've kind of taught me this over the years. Is that it, typically those have been good decisions when you've done that. So uh, maybe I'm just taking a belief out of your book. But I tend to, you know, my selling has been pretty bad, but. You know, regret minimization too. I, I think you, if you find a higher quality position, um, that would probably be my two cents, mate. Uh, and I think you know a bit more about it. So, so uh, yeah, I was gonna actually, you stole my word. So one of the things, so one of the things that Claude Walker is actually really, really good at, and this is his speciality, right? So when you're looking at well, what what he calls small caps, I call them micro caps, right? In in my lens, they're all micro caps. So one of the things in micro caps or small caps, really, that in the ASX small caps, is you really need to be a bit nimble, because like, I mean, well, this business has an ARR of what, like less than $30 million. Uh, $30 million is, I mean, it's basically nothing, mm. right? Um, these sort of businesses can blow up. You know, they can go to the moon, but they can also blow up. And therefore, being a bit more nimble, I think, is is important. If you have a adjacent quarter decline in ARR, especially, I, and, I, and my guess is, I had a look at the report, but it's not clearly broken out. That it looks like there's acquisition also included in that ARR growth, right? So it's not really all organic. Descoping is a word that is a very fancy word. Descoping. I find that word like you're descoping by a big customer basically can mean a lot of things, right? But a big customer descoping is usually negative in my view. So, you you know, then the question to ask, I would ask is, is 4X or 5X ARR a good multiple? Maybe it is, but I mean, you need maybe 20%, 30% ARR growth, and maybe you're hoping for the multiple to go from five to eight, right? Maybe it happens, maybe it doesn't happen, but maybe there are better ideas out there. So yeah, the, the one thing that, I noted, which was on the last page of this, which is a pretty fancy way of doing these things, is the Vault CEO 
is out. <laughs> so that doesn't tell me good things about this acquisition and integration and whatnot, right? So, you know, I followed the stock quite closely a while back and I thought it was a good business and I think it had some benefits during COVID time, but I'm not sure what happened here. The churn rate seemed to be pretty high, like at five, 6%. So normally the numbers are not encouraging, but yeah, I mean, I mean, maybe being nimble is probably worthwhile, but here's the thing, right? it may be that from this point on, the stock goes on to do really well, right? It could double and triple, but maybe it doesn't. You've got to make the decision based on what we have right now. And then the other thing is that, I guess, if you sell it and if you can find something else that does equally good, then that's okay. Although it's hard to make two decisions, you know, making back-to-back decisions is harder. So I tend to be a slow seller. I actually don't sell, but generally don't sell. And what that means is my position just becomes smaller and smaller and smaller, and eventually it does not matter. Like you know, pay more, pay more in brokerage for selling than anything else. So, but if I own the stock, I might actually not do anything. I would definitely not be buying at this point. Like at least in my opinion, because you know it's basically a punt at this time, right? You know, it's really hard to tell whether the business momentum is there or not. And then it's very acquisitive, right? There's Vault, now there's Tix, and now Tix is apparently working with Amazon, and maybe great things will happen. But if great things will happen, there'll be plenty of time sometimes to buy. So that's what I think. But yeah, it's it's a tough one. I would say, you know, it's when you do your valuations, you t- well, I typically rely on my valuations when something goes against me. So I have my thesis, do my valuation, and then I rely on that. But then if management credibility is brought in to that conversation, that makes it very hard for me to rely on their execution, which then that's pretty much my valuation is based on their execution. So, you know, I find it pretty hard to price poor credibility. So I tend to not stick around. Speaking of selling, mate, uh, this is directed at you, Anirban. I, I heard on the grapevine, which we know now to be Twitter, that um, you sold some of your Tesla stock. So sold some of your 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 famed Tesla holding Tell us a little bit about this. So did you sell it all? Did you sell part? Talk us talk us through the decision. Yeah, so Tesla recently hit like say a trillion dollars of valuation. Right now it's like 1.2 trillion or something. So my decision was, as I said in my post, was not really based, it was not really based on valuation. I, I think it's somewhat around fair value right now for the auto business, which sounds like a strange thing to say, but it is. Like that's what I think it is. So my Tesla position was nearly 40%. Of the of all the portfolios that I manage put together, that is an incredibly high wow. allocation to a single company. And I first bought the shares in 2013, and I went really big in 2018 and 2019. Like when 2018 and 2019, when Tesla was supposedly dying, maybe came close to that. I really went big uh, because I had pretty high conviction. Now you know you can you can call it a punt at that time because I mean I could have been wrong. That particular, those particular investments. So, I mean, just ignore the 2013 one because you know that has that is up many, many fold. But actually, in 2018, 2019, you could have invested and you'd be up 25x to 30x. So I went really big. So I had a really big position in Tesla. And so I felt that a couple of things: one, 40% in any position, even if it is the probably what I call the single most important company on the planet, uh, because they're not only solving important problems, it's led by probably a visionary that the world has not seen for a long, long time. All those things put aside, the sheer sum of money is important to me. So I thought, well, you know, I really need, I can't. At that point, the volatility became too much for me, and um, or a big consideration for me. So I thought I'll take, so I reduced my position by about 40%. It's still a very, very big position. 
um, for a single company. I would, normally, I would not say that people should have that kind of position, but I reduced my position by 40% just to, you know, I'll pay taxes on it and that's fine. Um, but I felt that I needed to take some money off the table just to just be happy. Those, <laughs> and not, those taxes can be brutal on a big winner. Those taxes can be brutal and a big winner, but I mean, it's, you know, it's better to pay taxes than to not pay taxes, right? I mean, I basically mean something went well, which is a good problem to have. And so it was, it was a portfolio management type of decision. I'm not a big portfolio management type of guy. Like I don't actively manage my portfolio, uh, but this was like staring at my face saying it's too big, too big. It's still a battleground stock, right? I mean, the thing is that it's still a volatile stock. It can go up 40% and it can go down 40%. So. Well, yeah. here's, here's an interesting theory that I heard today, which was that for a lot of the retail trade, are you guys picking, hearing me properly, by the way? Can you still hear me? Yeah, yeah we got you. Change yeah. the microphone then. But yeah, um, the theory is that for a lot of the, I guess, like trade speculators that are trading on, uh, that are own and trading, you know, high multiple growth stocks in the US, uh, for a lot of them, they own Tesla. So when Tesla goes up, they have more collateral on which from on which to speculate in like all the other um in the other like high growth you know yeah. sort of meme stock kind of names as well so that's why when Tes- tesla can lead the pack there now of course that sort of is is in some ways a scary thought if you do own these kind of businesses because when that means that like even though you think oh no i don't own so this is my, in my head i'm like well i don't own tesla right but I do own like a lot of other things that Anuban likes in the in the high growth. And I'm trying to th- think of one right now, but I just can imagine that I'm there thinking, no, actually Atlassian is is a better quality business than Tesla. So, you know, Doc can be in this high growth, you know, most important business in the world, but I've got a sticky software, high gross margin one, so I'll be okay. But the reality might be that when um, Tesla tanks, then so do does the, the rest of those ones. So like this, there's a couple of different things. So you're touching on a lot of different things here. One is there's this thing called, what people call the gamma trade. So what happens is you buy the call option. Call option gives you the right to buy the stock at a certain price. Now, if the stock goes up, stock has to go up. But if the stock goes up, those call options now are in the money, which means people can ask for those shares to be assigned, right? Well, then somebody, the counterparty has to provide those shares. So therefore they buy the shares. That mm. causes the shares to then go up, which means other call options get into the money, which cause more buying. So the market maker is basically constantly buying the shares, pushing the price up. And this can have a very fulfilling effect on the upside. The same thing can happen on the downside, which is why, you know, which is why when people short the stock, when people like you know, famous people short Tesla, they go onto newspapers and TV and say, I'm short by several hundred million or maybe a billion dollars. And actually they're not short by a billion. They're actually short much smaller because they're using put options to short and then have a smaller short. So they won't try to, you know, they, so they won't go this, bankrupt if it moves against them. Yeah. So they, yeah, they won't go bankrupt, but the, the pricing can action can occur on the, on the downside as well. So here's my thing with this, right? Basically, if there is a market correction, it takes everything down with it. <laughs> it's not a stock specific thing. And we, you know, whether Tesla's valuation should be $1,200 or $800 or $600, that, that is a debatable thing. And that really depends on what the market 
thinks at any given point in time. One of the things that you, you know, one of the, so this is one of the, you know, advantages, for example, of small caps, right? So, you know, that small cap space, and say, if you take the ASX small cap space, pick any stock, Damstra, maybe four people follow it. Like there might be four broker reports or five broker reports on it, right? Uh, a big Telstra might have like 12 or 15 or some large number of people following it. So, you know, there is price discovery has happened for that, whereas price discovery may be still happening for Damstra. Um, the in in the U.S. you'd reflect that because the companies are much larger. You'd see that by institutional holding, and actually probably holds true for Australian stocks as well. Like how much institutional holding is there for Damstra versus you know retail holding? Tesla has a much smaller. Uh, institutional holding compared to, let's say, an Amazon or compared to a Facebook. So there's still price discovery. So there's a lot of different behavioral things that you know work. You know, so it's a it's a it's a retail playground still. But one of the things that happens again in the market is just similar to say stocks getting added to ASX 200 or an ASX 300. If a stock is an ASX in the S&P 500 and you're a fund manager and you are underperforming because you don't own Tesla, well now when the Tesla has gone up a lot, you kind of have to buy it. <laughs> so, so there's buying pressure from all sorts of sides and that's price discovery, right? I mean, you can call it a momentum, but it's actually also price discovery because all these people have to buy it because they didn't buy it in the first instance. So anyways, I mean, I think in the long run, it's the fundamentals that are going to decide the value or the eventual valuation of a company. So, and usually I look at TAM and then you can sort of, you know, go from there. But anyways, that's how I think about it. That's great. Um, guys, I'm going to ask you a question that's coming from the live chat, which is from the Equity Force Vinoth, who asks, could you please share what you look for in a vertical SaaS company like Toast? Um, and how would you factor in the opportunity cost of taking money away from horizontal SaaS companies? If any of you have any insights on that, feel free. Like basically, how do you, what, do you, what are you looking for in a vertical SaaS company? Anyone want to answer that? I was going to say, I don't know what a horizontal or a vertical SaaS is. <laughs> I've got to admit, I'm, I'm a bit confused by that. So, uh... so I'm stumped. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, but I, I, I can say what I look for in SaaS company. I look for stickiness. And, sure, and toast, do that. I, I toast Sorry, is, I believe. That will do. The toast, I believe, is another one of those POS companies. Um, whoa. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> Maybe somebody else has to answer the question. Okay. We've got a dog. Chiming in the background. Yeah, um, uh, we have uh, somebody taking the dog away for walking. <laughs> and the dog is basically uh, saying, well, uh, are you a stranger or not? At least the dog does its work. So it has been validated. <laughs> um, yeah. So, um, you know, the thing is, I would say, I look for stickiness and I look at the problem they're solving. I think that's really important. If you're solving an important problem and you're sticky, that can be a really good place. And, and then this is a, you know, what I call a floofy answer for which there are many ways to figure out whether or not it is relevant or not. And different companies are relevant in their own space. And then you sort of can then figure out the TAM. So POS is really hot these days, you know, uh, it's a point of sale. So that's like Tyro equivalent. And, you know, there's so many people in that POS space. Uh, there is there's uh, toast. There's I believe toast is in that space, and there's Lightspeed. There's like Square. There is Square, like yeah. Square. There's Tyro in here in Australia. So I mean, you know, then it's Commonwealth Bank is in the POS space. So POS is really a hot thing these days. So yeah, that's my my vague answer. Yeah, that, that's that's fair enough. Um, we'll talk about Tyro in just a second. Um, so uh, I'll, says, I'll have a crack at that one as well, though. If 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 I yeah, can. sure. I'll just, just clarify one point that Vinod said that the vertical is one industry only. And so Toast caters to the restaurant industry only, whereas Zero operates across industries. So it's horizontal. So like 
it's actually going to lead into something else we were going to mention anyway, which is that a really classic example of uh, what people would describe as a vertical SaaS stock is actually not really, it's sort of SaaS, but it is that kind of business model is actually ProMedicus, right? Of um, course, ProMedicus, here it is again. And And the thing is, and this is really important, is that on the ASX, you basically want, like, basically most of the opportunities in software are vertical, st- vertical yeah. SaaS, as you'd call it, right? Because the big, uh, so and you've got examples of horizontal ones, which is like uh, zero is the best example that we probably all, well, I don't know about Anaban, but me and you like Owen. Um, yeah. and, um, and I think that, you know, my, historically, like, I definitely feel like, uh, Anaban has talked to me about more um, horizontal style stuff. So, you know, one of the stocks doc that you've, you told me about years ago that I should have buy was like Twilio, which again, not exactly SaaS, but classic example of like horizontal, like deep in, in, in the in- infrastructure stack there. So um, in terms of what do, what do I look for in, in terms of vertical SaaS is I think a really important thing to think about that you won't that people won't tell you about and isn't often talked about is the, for a vertical SaaS business, the um, amount or the profit margins that they are going to be able to charge has to do with how expensive the professionals are whose time they are saving, right? That's why, that's why if you ask me, um, the economics of a vertical software as a service business that saves the time of radiologists is likely to be better than the vertical software that saves the time of accountants and is likely to be better again than the vertical software that saves the time of people who are flipping burgers. So, that's kind of something that I would think about. Now, of course, you have to think about that relative to price. If you're paying, you know, a hundred times EBIT for the one that has radiologists and and a lot less for the one that's um, helping accountants, maybe the accountants one is a better buy. But that is something that is definitely worth um, considering because for the buyer of that SaaS um, software, the limitation on how much they can pay and still it be a profitable decision for them is the savings that they are making on whoever's time they are saving by getting that software. And the more expensive that person is, the more they'll pay for the software, basically. That's really interesting. We just had a we just had a, a question, and Vinos has great points, so thanks for that, um, from Liam, who said, is, is Pointera, that's ASX 3DP, an example of that? An example of uh, a vertical or a horizontal? A uh, vertical, sorry. I actually don't know... Um, Pointera's customer base well enough to to answer that question to be I'd, to be quite I'd frank. Pr- I'd probably say know. it's a bit of both because you, it it principally serves asset owners, so it can be like energy grids, it can be you know any type of big asset owner, water infrastructure, stadiums, whatever, um, and they upload their their data sets onto the platform and then Pointera charges as the SaaS subscription. But um, primarily, it was surveying that that were using it in the early days. So in, and. This is interesting because it's a slightly adjacent point to yours, which is that surveyors in themselves probably don't charge that much. They're not just going to charge as much as a radiologist, but as a project, it probably is a bigger deal. And so to mm. save the money on a project is substantial. Well, that's right. You know, the times remapping something. 
that's the other thing that I didn't mention, and I'm glad you brought that, is you don't just have to think about the hourly rate of um, the person whose time you're saving, but also think about how much of that person's time are you saving. So yeah. you might halve the time a radiologist takes to look at a, a study, but in the case of something like Pointera, or more likely, I think in this example, something like Ica GPS, a little, little liquid company on the ASX that does a similar kind of thing, that might actually completely like reduce, you know, that might more than half the time that might, you know, reduce by even more the, the need to send people out. You know, that was sort of near maps, near maps thing for a long time as well as like, basically we can stop you needing to do site visits. Yeah. So yeah. you could imagine if the site visit goes down from once a month to once a year, then you, you're saving, you're more than halving the expenditure there. So that's something mm. to think about as well. Absolutely. I'm actually going to save Amitish's question for the end because I think it's a really interesting one about um, just about which sector and companies are really exciting to you guys now. So maybe just have a think about that over the next few minutes. But uh, Claude, you, you brought up ProMedicus. Harry says it, it only took us 35 minutes to get to ProMedicus. Um, at $58, is it a buy, hold or sell, mate? Yeah, so I still I still hold some of it. But, um, you know, I, it's, it's worth checking in. The history here is that in March 2015, I recommended it around $1.50 for Motley Fool Hidden Gems and, and I've held it ever since then. So, you know, it's obviously, I, I had a cost basis around a dollar. So it's like about a 50 bagger for me. I have sold at this point the majority of my shareholding already. And a, and a lot of that selling has been above $50 in this year, right? So I have a scary tax bill that I'm about to get because I've just sent in my documents and everything. And um, yeah, and it makes me think, you know, when I'm about to be hit with this tax bill, like, did I do the right thing selling? But, you know, the, the pricing of this thing is like really insane for, for its growth rate. I, I don't think you have to look at it very long to say, well, yeah, there really is a, a, a great high quality business behind here. But yeah, like it's it's just the chances are that it can barely have any multiple re-rate go up. You know, I, it's just how can we get more optimistic about this stock? And I think that you have to consider that markets don't always represent value. And what you have in ProMedicus is a company that is still 52% owned by its founders, right, which speaks to its incredible economics. Now, incredible economics and a 55% EBIT margin is totally a reason to say, wow, this is a, a wonderful business. But what it also means is that um, they've been able to grow it and grow it without issuing shares. They, don't have to, they haven't had to sell more and more shares and let every fundy get in. You know how it goes. You've been in a company the whole time. You've been the ups and downs, blah, blah, blah. It's finally getting big. It's about to like hit the big time. And then what do they do? I think EML Payments is a great example of this. What do they do? They slot out a ton of shares to every fundy who was asleep at the wheel and never got set. Then they can get set right at that late stage at a discount to whatever the market price is. When you do that, you know, you're going to have a more functional and liquid market. But if you have a situation where you have a tightly held business and the founders have decided that they're going to use the business opportunities, the business um, quality, sorry, to grow the business without issuing shares and also without selling very many shares and without allowing that liquidity in the market. And then when you combine that with having a large number of retail shareholders who got in at very low prices, right? A very normal person who was looking at, 
you know, like me or anyone really who's looking at ProMedicus a few years ago can go and buy um, $20,000 worth of shares that suddenly becomes $200,000 a few years later. And a lot of these people, you know, yeah, they're going to sell some out, but a lot of these people are going to be like me in that they're going to do so slowly and only at a high price. Well, you've got all of this, all of these um, index hugging funds, which I'm sure is a concept that, you know, most of us understand, but that maybe we can explain that later, but funds have sometimes an incentive to, to, to just make sure they own a bit of everything. And so they are underweight, you know, a star stock it's dangerous for them and they just want to make sure they have some of it in case it does outperforming. It doesn't cause them to lag. So Mm. you have, and you have index funds that also just need to automatically buy. So you have a lot of uh, valuation insensitive demand for the stock. And that can mean a period of like a, a fairly elevated share price, basically. And that may not be a reflection of the fundamentals. And I, I think, you know, we're seeing that now. I think somebody asked, Oh, what's the stock you're excited about? Well, I own ProMedicus and and have been selling that now, but one that I haven't really been selling, I I think I bought some and then I sold a little bit, but basically I've just kept my core position is a company called Objective Corp. And that's, that has similarities, right? It doesn't, it's still very expensive, but not as expensive as ProMedicus, but it has similarities with ProMedicus like a few years ago, not in saying it's such a good company. I'm not saying, oh, it's definitely going to go up and double or anything, but it has that same quality where you have a high quality business that hasn't needed to dilute. Um, the founder has held on to his shares. The founder hasn't, you know, even if he sells a little bit, that's probably not going to make a difference. This thing keeps getting bigger and bigger. It's about above a billion dollars. It's still not in the ASX 200. So it's just a matter, it's possible. It's not just a matter of time. If it keeps delivering, it just gets a little bit more liquid and goes a little bit like the share price goes up. That shakes out people like me looking at, oh, this is expensive or there's a fundy that's got some and they start feeding it out. It becomes more liquid. Lo and behold, finally gets liquid enough to get in the ASX 200. Then what happens? You have a bunch of people that just need to buy the stock at any price. That's when you can get these um, blow-offs in the share price that have little to do with the actual value of the company and more to do with the market dynamics that can be created by the best kind of founders who are the ones that don't raise capital and hold all their shares. And then that's when you get the, that's, yeah, you want some excitement. I'm excited about that. I don't know if it's going to happen. I don't know when it's going to happen, but I'm holding my objective shares because I want to see something really stupid happen in that share price. And <laughs> I want to be holding when it does. Uh, yeah. It's hard. I just, yeah. It, it is hard to, to talk about ProMedicus and then talk about another company because some people do think that you're saying, this is the next ProMedicus. This is probably, yeah, probably I'm not, not saying, saying that. This is I'm a similar characteristics, that. but just in a full transparency there. Yeah, I'm um, not trying to say that today. at all. And it, it's a totally different business. One does software for radiologists. The other does software for bureaucrats, basically, but um, and local councils. And so it's obviously yeah. a different market. You know, one's all in the US, one's mostly in Australia. Totally different companies, different prospects. But you have that same quality where the founders themselves have been, in the case of both of those companies, they haven't been issuing new fair shares to raise capital over the time that they've been listed, that I've been watching them. They've been actually buying back shares. And mm. that is, um, that can get, it can get silly. And if you are going to, you know, if you want to look at this at a high level, like profitable software companies that have good business models, high margin, sticky customers, and then managers who are buying back shares rather than issuing them, 
that's an interesting place to play. Mm, for sure. That's Objective Corp on the ASX. Um, Prometicus is at 65 times sales for those of you that are interested, which Thanks, is, Owen. which is, which is um, quite the multiple. So right. uh, I own that shit. I've owned the shares. I've had, we've had them on a hold for a long time since we recommended them. But call out to you. I, w- I beamed with pride and joy in when you made Prometicus your first Rask Invest recommendation. Yeah, thanks. I remember you calling me up and saying, well done on that one. Um, you picked the best from... one. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe, you know, half like half skill, we'll say. Um, the other, the other, another update, which I'll cover quickly, was just out of Tyro. It got brought up before. Tyro Payments is the uh, point of sale business here in Australia. It also is, has got this little um, lending business that it's starting to do. You can... Th- it's kind of like in maybe a less glamorous version of Square out of the US. It's not as consumer friendly, but it focuses on merchants. What was really interesting this week is they came out with their AGM and there was an outlook statement there that was provided. It was nothing I would say that was really concerning, but um, I just sat through the AGM and to be honest, it was one of those really boring ones where no one asked questions and I forgot my shareholder reference number. And so I couldn't ask a question. So I was just sitting there passively and there was no questions throughout this whole thing. And then at the end, like, well, it's about halfway through the AGM, the shares started down 3% and they got down to around about 15% or 20% down before the AGM concluded. And um, the management team actually left the, the audio device on after they closed the meeting. And um, someone in the background said, oh, have you seen the share price? And then the per- I don't know who it was. Someone else said, oh, did I say something wrong? Um, so they had no idea, I don't think, what was going on in the market at the time of their AGM. But the shares got sh- sold down kind of viciously. I didn't really know what happened either. And so later that afternoon, I believe it was, or maybe it was the following morning, um, they've, they've come out and they've clarified some, some numbers. And one of the things that they said is our transaction value, so the value that's going through the point of sale terminals, was up 25% to $8.97 billion. But the gross profit, which I've got here, um, was $38.5 million, up 14%. So there was a kind of dislocation between the, the revenue, or the, the, sorry, the, the transaction value and the uh, gross profit. And I think maybe what people have missed here, I don't know, I'm just speculating because I don't know the real reason why it got sold off. There were four or five really big trades that went through, just, just straight up trades, which is a bit interesting. Um, people don't realize that Tyro has been on a bit of an acquisition spree in terms of buying other kind of adjacent um, providers. And one of those was Bendigo Bank. And the revenue model that they disclosed from that wasn't really clear when they did it. We we knew in our notes that it was going to be lower margin revenue. We just didn't know how low it was going to be. And I think maybe that sort of spooked the market because they said if we excluded that, then gross profit would have been up 22%. So um, it was a bit more in line with, I guess, where they were going in terms of transaction value. But a really interesting one, I don't know if you guys know much about Tyro, but there's two listed on the ASX. There's Tyro, which is the big brother um, of SmartPay, which is a smaller Kiwi turn Australian business. So both both interesting companies, um, both in that space, fighting with Square and uh, and Albert from the Commonwealth Bank of Australia, which has, uh, is the big incumbent. Point of sale makes money by clipping the ticket as things come through. Um, SmartPay is a little bit different because it pushes the zero charge or the no kind of charge on it doesn't charge the merchant it tries to charge the, the customer so you just pay a little bit extra when you get your cup of coffee um both really interesting businesses but tyro's down this week full disclosure we still have it as a buy i can't really other than the, the slip on margins i can't really disclose i can't really say what it is that sent the share price down um if anyone out there is watching and they think i know the answer to that please let us know you can jump find us on twitter but that's that's tyro payments um 
I thought I'd have to be quick through that one because I wanted to jump back to you, uh, Anirban, and you've got two companies you want to talk us through. You can share screen if it helps. Otherwise, um, we're going to talk about uh, Peloton and Cloudflare. So two really interesting companies. Many people know Peloton because they, if they're into fitness, tell us a little bit about these guys. Yeah, so we'll see. We'll, we'll try to run through these quickly. Um, so for Peloton, uh, revenue in the first quarter only grew six percent, um, and wow. so that's a big, um, uh, you know, pullback in growth. I guess the the other thing is the connected what they call a connected fitness quarterly workouts. I guess the total number of workouts that are happening in this connected fitness experience that they're providing. Uh, there was about one hundred, you know, twenty thousand. 500 odd, uh, which is while it was up relative to Q1 of last year, this was Q1 2022, it's sequentially down now from Q3 and Q4. So basically, like the pandemic being, you know, kind of over in parts of the world, or many parts of the world, um, or people at least assuming the pandemic over, the pandemic might not be over, <laughs> the pandemic has become endemic. Uh, but usage of Peloton has decreased because people are probably going back to the gym. So th- this is, I think this is fascinating because you know what, what happened when I, uh, when I clicked the link to actually open up our Zoom's Zoom link, Zoom gave me an advertisement saying, hey, do you want to join our fitness classes? <laughs> Really? <laughs> so Zoom is doing meditation, live fitness classes, and things like that. Right? This Apple Fitness. This is this is a very competitive arena, and it's going to be really tough for a company like this to, like, you know, this is like a twenty billion dollar or something, or was twenty billion dollars until uh, this. Uh, and after hours, I think it was down like twenty seven percent. <laughs> take a quarter of the valuation away. Uh, whatever is the valuation now? It's this is going to be tough because this down, look down market, 30% after hours. Okay, so down Anna, 30%. Anna Bond, I have a burning question for you that kind of taps into this. <laughs> yes, um, tell me. What like what do, what's your take on I guess to me, I look at something like Peloton, this idea that we're all in our homes on a on a stationary bike um with a video linking us to whatever. And, and I look at, say, um, the Facebook idea of the metaverse or whatever, and to me, it feels like that, that direction for technology, I'm not saying it won't succeed, but it seems massively dystopia to me. It doesn't seem like, do we, do we think, first, there are two questions, do we think that there's like some intrinsic value in um, people actually going outside and and breathing the fresh air and hearing the birds while they exercise, <laughs> and and also you know just generally while they live their life, or do we think that you know right now we're doing Zoom and we love it, but um do we think that in a few years actually now we're just hopping into the metaverse to get together, or um is it actually going to be a point where people say, hey, like we've had um, a year of massive Zoom and we're never going to let it go and and we can work together like this when we live in three different cities and that's great, but that's enough. We still do want to get together when we can to have a beer and have a meal or whatever and the, the Zoom thing's enough. We don't need to go further into that virtualization of everything. Yeah, so I, I tend to agree with you. You know, I, I think, you know, so I've personally seen this, like my daughter plays a lot of Roblox and it's a game I have come to despise a lot because it's just mm. a time waste. A lot of the 
app economy, I call it a time waste because it's just brain numbing, time wasting, eyeball driven. It's not really adding any positive value other than for bringing eyeballs, which the advertisers are bombarding, a lot of fake news. So yeah, I'm, I'm she, not doesn't, a, she doesn't listen to the Australian Investors Podcast, does she? No, she, she doesn't. Listen to this, you know, there's beautiful content here. Of course, she doesn't listen to this. You know, she's you know, playing some game, building some virtual world in. So I, I'm not a fan of the metaverse, the me- see, here's the thing, right? So I don't want to get into that metaverse conversation in the sense that I think there's a lot of hype. Whenever a company goes through this hype phase, they are basically either deflecting or doing something else. Or to put it simply, right? If I am trying to compute, create the new compute platform, and I want to have a leadership position, I'm not going to advertise it so that Google and Apple and Amazon are going to copy it, right? Mm. <laughs> so... Mm. It is more for press, it's more for deflection, it's more maybe for hiring. And this whole thing is like, you know, several years away in which case, you know, stuff will change. So I'm not a big fan of this. Going to connected fitness, right? There is a use case for connected fitness. So, you know, I have a, I have some gym equipment. I use it with my phone, but I use it with Apple Fitness. Like, I mean, somebody could use it with Apple Fitness, somebody could use it with Zoom, right? I mean, you know, maybe there's a room for that and some people are going to go to the gym. The the whole idea that the whole world is needing this virtual exercise classes, which is what sort of fitness, you know, a, a community around virtual reality of people exercising, that seems a little far-fetched to me, exactly to your point. Like, I mean, you know, if you need that, you probably go to the gym. <laughs> I yeah, do that. My- that. It blows my mind, right? I get why Peloton did well in a pandemic, but it blows my mind because I think back to, you know, everybody I know and, the reason, one of the reason people goes to the gym is because they see other people there yeah, and yeah. people meet their life partners at the gym. You know, if, think about this. If you're single and you're going to the gym because you like want to keep your body in shape and look real sexy, then like going to the gym also becomes uh, an opportunity for you to meet like other people that are taking care of their body that you might be interested in. Not only that, but a situation, and by the way, I hate gyms, so this is not an advertisement for gym, but <laughs> I'm I'm not stupid. And like I know that if I were if I were, you know, when I was dating, like what you want to do is you want to do things where you feel good together. Well, guess what? Exercise releases endorphins. And so it's a great way to break the ice. And if you want to like let me tell this to any other little investing nerds out there that are that want to improve their game you know one of the best things you can do is go for a walk get the get the endorphins pumping and you see something beautiful you're you're setting yourself up to succeed so the idea that all these you know young people that are trying to make their connections in life and meet people and all that would prefer to do the the you know stay at home thing it it doesn't feel i look maybe it's going to work out and that's what will happen but you know then we're just going to put even more reliance on Tinder and, and all of that kind of stuff. So for me, I think that, you know, obviously the, I think there's a point at which people want at least enough in-person kind of interactions. And, and it seems like a lot of the innovat- innovation that we've seen recently is about reducing those interactions. I'll just say one thing. I'll just say one thing, okay? Maybe you're making the assumption that this is for young people. What if what if this is not for the young people? It's for the mm. old people. And like also, me. also there are old people that are, are out dating as well. Like, of course. So you what know, about, what about what about universal? 
what are the universe of people who uh, are couch potatoes and don't want to go anywhere? Maybe it's for them. Maybe that universe is small. But yeah, I'm not a big, I'm not a fan really of this business. But I think this is, I mean, I just, I, my point really was that if you think about the gross margins, you think of the market cap and you think about the growth, I don't know how, I mean, it, it was bound to get the shellacking it got. Um, okay, what else was I supposed to talk about? Um, Owen? Yes, Cloudflare. Like strong results from Cloudflare. Oh, looks at like, yeah, look at the headline could, numbers. Yeah, really strong results from Cloudflare. Yes, the couple of things. There's that Starlink. So this is a <laughs> <laughs> brutal. <laughs> the brutal truth comes out. <laughs> so um, this was the first quarter, I think, after the, have them going public where they had uh, an operating profit. Uh, so they tipped into profitability, although they've said that they're going to go back or they're going to be sort of hovering around this. So they're going to basically invest every dollar that they earn. Um, the other big news was that their customer ads of large customers defined as those people with ACV or annual contract values of 100,000 or more, that is increasing at a phenomenal pace. So while the revenue grew at 50%, I think that was at like somewhere close to 70%. So growth of uh, on the large customer side. So that is really, really good. Uh, the product just, they're really bringing product uh, innovation, pace of innovation is really, really strong there. So just new products are coming and, uh, you know, they're really good at sort of iterating through things. So, I mean, the, the pro, this company has, this company still probably has um, a pro medicus like multiples of sale, uh, <laughs> uh, but the multiple has expanded really a lot. So there's a lot of, I guess, expectation baked into it. One of the things that is very interesting here is of their edge computing platform where they're actually enabling storage of content so um and the game that they're playing there is uh, so that is ingesting data into a cloud environment typically so if you're if you're aws does not cost you money but egressing data actually costs you money and what they're saying is that egress should not be costly <laughs> so they you know well, basically that's a lock-in right if you can't take data out if it if it costs you money to take your data out, then that's a lock-in. Over time, you have more and more data sitting with your central cloud provider. So they are building this flexible platform, which is edge-based, which is looking to sort of, I think, capture some of the cloud uh, TAM. And this last week, uh, Owen, you remember we talked about this. So if you, if you just look at the big three in cloud, they're sort of at 110 billion per year uh, run rate, growing easily at 35% plus. So that's a phenomenal, like just, just tells you how big that infrastructure uh, in the cloud opportunity is. And these guys sort of want to have a slice of that. So, I mean, even if they become, you know, a, a fourth, uh, you know, horseman behind Google, Google is on a, on a 5 billion per quarter run rate. That'll be a significant achievement for this company, which is, you know, still a sub 1 billion revenue uh, run rate company. So again, uh, I really like this company. I really like this company because I really like how the founders behave and how the founders uh, pursue things. And one of the biggest things in competitive um, software land is just your pace of innovation. And your pace of innovation really is the most important thing. And if you have a platform that allows you to innovate quickly, that's really important. So these guys uh, are really fabulous. So it's a company definitely that should be in people's watch list. Mm. Um, I believe it's I, pretty... I didn't hold that long enough. I can't believe I, I bought that just as a part of a grab bag of high growth stocks in June last year. And then I, I sold it. It's just terrible. It's been probably the best performer, one of the best performers of the lot. I spent um, I spent um, the first part of the pandemic looking at Fastly, 
So, um, <laughs> <laughs> and not so, only did I buy Fastly, but I sold Cloudflare. It's so painful. <laughs> so, uh, I did buy some good ones as well, by the way CrowdStrike, Atlassian, um, Upstart. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you, have you looked at DigitalOcean, Anibal? I have looked at it briefly, but you know, um, I own that you own that one. Okay, then I should look at it. I haven't looked at it very closely. ServiceNow but... is one of my favorites as well. That's actually probably one of my bigger positions. Anyway. Yeah, ServiceNow, ServiceNow is great. Uh, one of the funny things because you said Fastly is I was I read the Fastly call first, and then I was immediately after I was reading the Cloudflare call. And, you know, if you read the two side by side, it really depresses you about Fastly because, you know, the Fastly call does not inspire. (laughs) And nothing wrong. They're just just boring in the way they just sort of present stuff and talk about things, uh, whereas these guys are very inspiring and thoughtful and sort of, you know, they they demonstrate leadership. So uh, anyway, just, you know, just to the side. Yeah, it's it's Mm. usually usually go better if you manage to invest in in the sort of the, the leader uh, rather than one that has all sorts of problems. Um, I should have yeah. seen that one coming. Oh, well. <laughs> uh, um, we can't, we can't win them all. Um, the, um, maybe, I think maybe we've, uh, we've gone a bit over time today, but um, there were a couple of other companies that we we're going to talk about, which is Pinterest just quickly. Pinterest reported its uh, quarterly third quarter this morning, guided for pretty weak results in the second quarter. So analysts weren't expecting much. Uh, pretty pretty strong top line growth revenue up considering they're investing in their um, their idea pins and heavily investing into video, which um, they say is more focused around inspiration than um, entertainment, which is what you might get from TikTok and YouTube and all the rest of them. But it's still, I was on it this morning. I was on the app. Um, speaking of fitness, um, because as I was listening through the quarterly report, I was in the gym. I do go to the gym every now and again, Claude. And, <laughs> um, and I actually went on there and I, and I noticed that they've added a heap of things like you know, if you're in, if you're in the gym, you can see workout videos and, and get inspiration that way. So it's not necessarily, it's kind of transitioned away from just the home and renovations and food to more lifestyle things as well, which are really popular on the platform. But um, just in short, revenue strong, um, users n- not as strong as people would like, but probably better than expected and guiding for a pretty, a, a growth quarter in the fourth quarter, which is pretty strong considering they've been coming off COVID last year. They're basically the opposite play of um of covid or lockdowns if we go into lockdowns pinterest does well come out of lockdowns pinterest doesn't do as well so it's facing those headwinds at the moment but it's handling them pretty well um a lot of work to do on the monetization effort but they've got shopping features more advertising um so they've come a long way in that regard but that's pinterest nyse pins is the two code um claude i I know that there was one more thing that you had on your list which was just intellihr can you give us the 90 second what happened to IntelliHR today? Uh, well, so IntelliH, so I think it's sort of sort of it's sad to see what's happening to the share price as a, as a shareholder. Um, so what's happened is today they've put out um, you know an excited announcement. Not entirely sure why, um, but it has to do with them saying, "Oh, the five million dollar ARR key growth milestone achieved." Right. So this has all the hallmarks of a pointless announcement. Like, give us the quarterly, you know, updates for sure of your ARR. But why the hell does it matter that you passed 5 million? Like, I get it's a round number, but why not just put out an announcement randomly that's like that milestone of 6,000,000.175 has been passed. You know, it's just you want to talk about how you're growing your ARR, right? Like, that's the thing. 
And, you know, it's just been really, uh, as, a, as a shareholder, you know, I've definitely got to pull my punches here. But um, what happened is that this is a high growth SaaS stock, right? And what happens is you get some people like myself that buy shares because we think that, you know, we like to buy these high growth stories um, because people can underestimate when growth goes exponential. Things can get really good. They don't always. But it's, if you keep making that bet over and over again, you can do pretty well. Um, so I owned shares and fully expected there to be another capital raising. But previously, when they'd raised capital, they'd given existing shareholders a chance to participate in that. But instead, what they did was really ugly, which was to do a discounted capital raise to, you know, sophisticated in institutions or whatever, and no opportunity for shareholders, like common shareholders to buy shares. And the CEO sold a bunch of shares into that capital raising as well. And this was at, done at a fairly big discount to um, the prevailing price, which is then how the, the brokerage that's doing it can like convince a whole bunch of people randomly to buy shares all of a sudden when the CEO is selling by being like, oh yeah, but the share price is at 27 cents or 28 cents. I can't remember what it was. And you can buy shares at 23 cents. So, you know, it's free money kind of thing. Well, yeah, like maybe that's how it gets sold to the, to the company to do it that way. But like the reality is that that is a double shafting for um, retail shareholders because not only do you not get the opportunity to buy those discounted shares, but what has happened is then the shares have gone to other people who probably didn't really want it, mostly just wanted it because it was a discount. And then the idea is that what the brokers want to happen is for those people who get the shares to sell it on market for a profit to someone who did want it. So it's exploitative in my view. It it gives a raw deal clearly to the existing shareholders who don't get an opportunity, who get cut out and have to try their luck on market. Well, guess what? Retail shareholders, there is a fight back here because where you know we're not silly we can see what happens and what you're sort of seeing increasingly when companies pull this maneuver is retail shareholders so oh i don't like how we're getting treated this reduces my opinion of this company and so they turn around to sell on market and guess what it is very obvious that you've just given shares to a bunch of people who don't know the company as well as the shareholders don't they obviously they're not shareholders right so some of them anyway. So they obviously like the, the stock less. So you get this herding response where retail shareholders will, and anyone who owns shares will then sell, which then eliminates the profit that was promised to the people that got the share, shares anyway. So now these poor, these, I shouldn't say poor, but these people who've bought the shares at 23 cents, you know, have all these shares they didn't only bought because it was a cheap shares and they're looking to sell that on market. And then the really sad thing is when you see these, kind of announcements like, hey, 5 million ARR, you know, this is great, um, positive announcement, right? Well, you know, share price down. Like, because you still, you can't, as I said, you have to analyze the company, but you also, it's helpful to analyze what's happening in the stock. And the, the reality is, is it's hard for that stock to go anywhere while you've got this overhang of people um, who just got it for the discount. And then meantime, there are people like me. I sold a bunch of my IntelliHR shares on this news and I've bought some of them back under 23 cents. Um, my goal is to buy back my position in IntelliHR, yeah, but maybe a smaller position now because I like the company less and I want to do it at less than their capital raising price. So, so you've, 
so you would buy back shares if it if it fell below a certain yeah so, level. so you still I, like the, the fundamentals of the business i do still like it, it is growing yeah. well it's just it's just really sad it's really sad as a shareholder to see manage like you just know when you see this behavior you just know yeah look you might be buying a good price and I, it could go up from here i think it probably you know it still keeps growing right if it keeps growing it's arr then eventually the share price will follow so I don't think it's a bad investment. And what I did was I sold into this situation and then I've actually bought back some already under 23 cents or maybe at or below 23 cents. But it just means that, you know, the is as I said, like you want to, when I'm getting going to get it really excited about position, it's not, it's not going to be a company that's doing this kind of maneuver. It's either one that um, does the buyback shares and doesn't need to issue shares or it's one that when they do issue shares, they try to do that in the most even way possible, keep all the shareholders in board. And what's more, if you're going to be giving new shares to existing shareholders, that's more likely to be sticky hands. And, um, mm. you know, mm. uh, give give the shares to people that already like the company. There's much more chance they're going to hold on to them and not flip them for a quick profit. And, and we see that. And generally speaking, you know, one of the software companies that, I, I bought this week and I'm going to be publishing about tomorrow. You know, they did it. They did the right thing in a capital raising recently. And what you've seen is that the share price has been sitting just above that capital raising price. So it seems like they've priced it reasonably well and they've managed it really well. And actually that is what initially made me think, look, I got to give this one another look because this management behavior is consistent with behavior that I admire. So, so let me have a look at this and see, maybe this is actually something that could be a good holding. Yeah. Um, that's a hell of a 90 seconds. And um, Sorry, mate. it's it, <laughs> IHR, IHR. No, I love it, man. I love it. Um, I actually, we wrote about IntelliHR inside uh, the RAS Rockets program. It wasn't an official pick because I was just a bit concerned. So many acquisitions and, and the cap raisings along the way. Um, I couldn't, yeah, I, I was worried. Not I didn't see it, this coming, but I was, I mean, it was worried about this type of thing. I think you probably made the right call. You know, I think I got in there at the wrong time. Um, I, and the share price just had too much um, hype in it. And, you know, as it turns out now, I haven't done too much harm to myself because I did make the decision to, to, to sort of sell when I did. But hmm. yeah, look, it's it's definitely, um, it's, a, it's a high growth software company that's small. So that's always going to make it interesting in my book. But at the same time, you know, there's a, there's a few shorter term things weighing on the share price. And I don't know when that's going to clear. Mm -hmm. Cool. Um, okay. So to thank you to our special guest today, Claude Walker from A Rich Life. You can head to richlife.com.au to find out more about uh, what Claude and the team are doing there. Um, arts, culture, and of course, investing. Um, mate, there's like a subscription, a supporters only section of the website, if I'm not mistaken. Is that correct? Yep. Yep. So, um, the, yeah, you, if you want to, if you want to check out, um, our, our full stuff with, you know, extra articles and articles sort of sooner and that kind of thing, then, um, we do have a wait list and, and people can hop on and, and once a month around, then we invite everyone on the wait list to see if they want to join. And, and the reason we have that wait list is because we offer a, a pro rata refund at any time for any reason. So that that's why you kind of need you can't just be constantly open because otherwise then people could like buy it and then get a refund and buy it and whenever they wanted to um, and it would just be a lot of admin for me so that so that's why we have that. Yeah, cool. I like it. Um, and Anirban, always a pleasure, mate. Every week, always a bit of fun. Um, hopefully next week, um, you know, we'll be back with some more US stocks. But in the meantime, if people want to get your November recommendation, they want to tune in for this webinar. They want to do all those lovely things. Um, where do they go to find out more? 
Uh, just go to 7investing.com forward slash subscribe and or just go to 7investing.com. Don't even have to hit subscribe. There's a lot of free articles there that you can read. You know, all our podcasts are there, a lot of free articles there. So, yeah. Yep. And don't forget, if you do subscribe, to use the RAS code, that's R-A-S-K. The webinar is coming up next weekend. Is that correct? If you want to learn about cybersecurity, zero trust, um, that'll be awesome. So um, that'll be in the show notes. We put it in the YouTube chat there, the live chat, if you want to dial in for that. It's free. Just pop in your email address and you're good to go. If you want to find out more about uh, me and what I'm doing, head to ras.com.au. You can take one of our courses or uh, jump on one of the subscriptions if you want to support us. Um, It's always good to hear from everyone. So please jump on Twitter, share your thoughts. Every week we want to go live and we want to do a podcast. So... um, you know, say good day. Give us some suggestions. We've had some wonderful ones today. At Seven A Mahanti, and we've got at Claude D Walker. I'm at Owen Rask on Twitter. Until next week, we'll see you then, gents. Thanks for joining me. Thanks, mate. I had so much fun chatting to you guys. Thanks Cheers, for having man. me. For more than a decade, I've been hunting for the best investors and their methods, strategies, and tools for investing. After years in the industry, countless books, a few degrees, and 1,000 podcasts and live shows, I've rolled this accumulated knowledge into something called Rask Invest. If you've ever heard me talk about a core and a satellite, active and passive, true long-term compounding, or you simply want to know exactly how I would invest... Now is your chance. Rask Invest is our new investment service, designed for all types of investors who want professional management of their core portfolio at a low cost from a team they trust. Rask Invest helps you automate your wealth creation and passive income. Simply click the link that says Invest with Owen in your podcast player to join one of our live platform walkthroughs or book a call with us. You can also view the Rask Invest PDS and TMD and get invested with me.